Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Cougars still have a timeout to use, and that's why they ran the football. They knew they had, a time, they had two timeouts to take. They were going to save one. Not a bad idea to call a draw play in that situation. They're managing the end of this game pretty well with Brinkley quarterback, and they can do so because they have that kind of experience. Play fake, look out. Brink has to unload. He's got a man wide open. Touchdown, Cougars. Gibson with the score. Michael Preston. Still probably my uh, favorite football moment for an Apple Cup I've ever, like, personally been in. I mean, the 2008 Apple Cup, I've always said, is like, you know, it was a fun game despite the crappy quality of the teams playing it because a rivalry game is a rivalry game but that I was in uh what would that be the uh east end zone so the end zone further away from where that play had occurred and even I from 70 to 80 yards behind the play saw Brandon Gibson open that's how bad that coverage breakdown was for UW that is how wide open Brandon Gibson was welcome to the Kook Center Hour it is Apple Cup week hate week we already covered Husky jokes on Kook Center. We're not going to do too much of that this week. We'll do a little bit of it and ask Michael anything. We're also going to... Um, we got some Thanksgiving side dish hot takes for you. That's as hot takey as we tend to get on this show. I don't know why I've morphed into a... I don't know what this accent is, but uh, again, I could edit it. I'm not going to. What was that accent? I have no idea. We got some Thanksgiving side dish hot takes for you, though. Very hot takes. Be careful, these hot takes, so the dish is very warm. As most Thanksgiving dishes are. <laughs> Dr. Christian Cable coming up here in a minute. Yogi Roth as well to talk about Peyton Bender, what we should expect from the youngin in the Apple Cup should he play. Let's go over, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Washington State's eighth win of the year. And we'll talk about Luke Falk here in a second, but I can't be the only person who at about 11 o'clock... Saturday night was kind of sitting in their chair and just kind of went, yeah, neat. I mean, that, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling to have at this point so many weeks into the season where Washington State dismantles a football team defensively. And I know Colorado didn't have Sefo Lufau. They had Kate Absey as their starting quarterback. But Washington State so thoroughly dismantled a football team, 27-3, to that you just kind of sit back and go, well, yeah. You know what I mean? It was the most meh experience in a game like that I've ever had in my, in my years of being a Washington State fan. You know, there was a certain amount of enjoyment you get out of beating Idaho 42 to nothing. There's some enjoyment you get out of beating Oregon State by a lot. They're always kind of a semi-rival, you know, Pacific Northwest, although, you know, I always kind of think of us as relatively similar athletically. But a Colorado football team without their starting quarterback, and then, of course, WSU loses theirs in the third quarter. But a Colorado team that's not very good, a game where the crowd was low crowd. I don't know how the atmosphere was. I wasn't there. It seemed to be okay on TV, though. But a crowd that was pretty low in terms of attendance, you just got the feeling that, yeah, they were kind of supposed to do that. They were kind of supposed to go out and beat Colorado 27-3. to Ho-hum. 
It's a very odd feeling to have. It's a very, very weird feeling sitting at 8-3, and three, waiting for the college football playoff rankings to come out, and to probably see Washington State in them. You'll probably see Washington State in the college football playoff rankings this week, I, maybe 24 or 25, but I think they will be there. Now at number 20 in the USA Today AP polls as well. That I don't know if this is the confluence of expectations at this point in the season or if it's just the confluence of perfect circumstances surrounding this game, but you just kind of felt meh after that. You know, it wasn't like last week where I was so excited, pants come flying off, screaming and yelling and happiness, blah, 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 blah. And I think some of that, again, tempered by the fact that Luke Falk was hurt again. But even so, even I think if he'd finished that game and he stayed in and remained healthy throughout the game, I think you kind of get to the end of that. You see 27-3 on the scoreboard, and you just kind of go, yeah, well, Okay. It's, it's just, it's such an odd feeling to, up to this year, you're so excited for any win. You're excited for any W this football team can get with how bad the last decade or so has been. Outside of one bowl year in 2013, but even then, that team had some serious up and downs. This one hasn't. And then again, I think it goes back to what we talked about last week. This is a football team that just is not going to let that happen anymore. The ups, the downs, they're just not going to let it get to them anymore. Losing Luke Falk in the middle of the game, they don't let it get to him. Peyton Bender comes in, and he looks like a freshman at times, and he looks like that guy with the cannon arm Mike Leach admires at times, too. Did he make some bad decisions? Yeah, he threw a double coverage a couple of times. A couple of passes that really should have been picked off. But at other times, that dime he threw to Gabe Marks, oh boy. Oh boy, what a toss by the young man. I don't think the offense is just as good with him as it is with Luke Falk. I don't think that Peyton Bender can come in and your expectation should be that he's going to perform as well as Luke Falk. But I don't think there's any reason to expect him to be such a severe drop-off that Washington State's chances against Washington are severely reduced. Washington's a good football team, no doubt about that. But Washington State's a very good football team. Regardless of whether Luke Falk or Peyton Bender plays, Washington State can beat the Huskies. It doesn't matter who their quarterback is. You can't say the same thing about a lot of other teams in this conference. You can't say that about Oregon State. You can't say that about Oregon. You can't say that about Washington. You can't say that about Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA, Arizona. Actually, you can't say that about anybody, maybe except for Arizona. Where you have the confidence that even with a backup quarterback, that your football team, the drop-off on offense should not be as great. And Gunnar Eklund during the press conferences today, said it very well. We don't care who's back there. We're going to protect them, and we're going to go into that stadium. We're going to try to win that football game. And I think they have the confidence, and they know that Peyton Bender can go in, and he can sling it. He's going to make some mistakes. He's probably going to make more than Luke Falk. It's going to be on the defense against an offense that has hit its stride, but against kind of you know these opponents that everybody's been feasting on. 
It's going to be up to this defense, I think, to limit Washington to three touchdowns. And if you can do that, I think Peyton Bender wins this football game for you. I don't like the talk of it's a rivalry, throw the stats out, throw the analysis out. Does some of that qualify? Yeah, sure. I mean, some of these guys are going to play a little harder because of who they're playing on both sides of the football. But you can still look at it objectively and say, look, if WSU's defense can do what they have pretty much been doing all year, which is hold opponents to just enough points to give Washington State's offense a chance to score and win, then they got a pretty damn good chance of winning the football game. And I think Peyton Bender still provides you with, you know, he, he provides you with a more than capable quarterback in this one. Washington may present him some run boxes and dare him to run it because he may not be as apt to check into him. That's the one fear I have with Peyton Bender is maybe he's just not as comfortable checking into the run as Luke Falk is. It's not as much experience running the offense. And that's fine. But I don't think the drop-off from Luke Falk to Peyton Bender is so dramatic that you would see everywhere else in the conference from one quarterback to another. And let's talk about Luke Falk for a minute here. That's the second game, second time in as many games he's had to leave the game with what appeared to be concussion-like symptoms, and in this case, almost certainly appears to be a concussion. I'm not a doctor, and even doctors looking through a TV would know better than to make a diagnosis you know, through a TV. But it certainly looked like to all of us a concussion or something very close to it. I have no doubt in my mind that Mike Leach cares a great deal about his football players. He cares a great deal about their well-being. He cares a great deal about their ability to, after school, provide for themselves. That's why this, you know, his emphasis on schoolwork and getting your grades up is so good. He wouldn't do that if he didn't care about his football players, about his student-athletes. And I don't think Mike Leach gives a damn what anybody in the media or public thinks about him. That's why you see that answer he gave to ESPN sideline reporter after the game. Happy and healthy. Rested the entire second half. He's being flippant because he doesn't want to play the media game. He doesn't want to do that. Does it stink for a lot of media members who have to work with him on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, probably. And I can understand, I can appreciate how you know dealing with that on a day-to-day basis might get a little irritating because you don't get to selectively deal with it, so to speak, like a lot of uh, fans do. But that's just who Mike Leach is. He's not going to answer that question. And to insinuate that he doesn't care about his football players is quite the leap to make. As far as we know, Luke Falk, two weeks ago against UCLA, passed every concussion protocol. He says he did. Leach says he did. Everybody, No one has come out to, to contradict that story. No one has said otherwise that he was not healthy enough to continue to play in that football game. And if he's not healthy enough to play this week, he won't. I don't think you would find, I don't think Mike Leach would think, you know, oh, well, mm, you know, the doctors say he probably shouldn't, but I really need to win this football game, Luke. So if he could go out there for me and risk it again, that I really appreciate that. I think Mike Leach has more foresight than that. To understand that one football game does not outweigh another 26 Luke Falk could be playing in the future. 
28, actually. I'm assuming a college football playoff appearance. But we don't know if he actually does have a concussion. The evidence points in that direction that, yes, on Saturday, Luke Falk sustained a concussion. They were being incredibly precautious, uh, being incredibly cautious with him on the field. The signs point to him having had a concussion that day or still dealing with one today. But we do not know that. If on Thursday the doctors say, yes, he is well enough to go play in that football game, then why wouldn't you play him? I get and I have railed on this show previously about the importance of neurological care for football players and student-athletes. I think there should be more and greater health care for these student-athletes after they leave school. I want to see their health care provided for after they leave school. Should greater symptoms from, say, an ACL tear, whatever, arise after they leave? They give their sweat, their blood, their tears for this school. And yeah, they do get a free education out of it, but a $50,000 education ain't worth a blown-out knee I've got to deal with for 20 years. I am as overly cautious as the next person. And if Luke Falk is cleared to play, and he does play against Washington, every time they get near him, I will be a little worried. Because it's been two straight weeks of dealing with possible head injuries for him. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to think. But to see people talking about how Mike Leach doesn't care about his football players. How dare he put Luke Falk out there with a concussion on Saturday after he'd gotten one. Uh, or you know, put him back in the game after he'd gotten a concussion against UCLA. And then he played him again last week. You don't know that. You do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt if Luke Falk had a concussion. He passed concussion protocols in the UCLA game. Are those protocols perfect? No, they are not. We are still trying to figure things out. And so right now, to the best of our medical abilities and to the best of our medical knowledge, Luke Falk did not have a concussion in that UCLA game. And I would hope that if he did, or rather that if he did actually have one, he would be smart enough to say to himself, you know what, I probably shouldn't go back in the football game. Or that the team doctors and the independent doctor on the sideline would know enough to stand up to a football coach. And again, Mike Leach can't just like, well, no, he's got a concussion. He can go back out there. It's not a call you can make. That's Mike Leach is a lawyer. He understands liability. If a doctor diagnoses a player with a concussion and he compels him to go out there and play that football game, because you know the player, if, if he said no... You know the ramifications to that. There are no actual quote-unquote ramifications, but you know the ramifications to that. Mike Leach is a lawyer. He passed the bar. He knows about liability. You don't know if he had a concussion. Stop acting like he did, and Mike Leach is, is, is just as crass with his players as he is with the media. He's not. He doesn't like talking to the media. It's very apparent. If Luke Falk has passed concussion protocols 
and he it is determined that he no longer has a concussion and he is neurologically healthy enough to play in the Apple Cup, play him. I will still be worried every time a Husky defender gets near him. I will. I think that's perfectly reasonable after two straight weeks of a head injury or a potential head injury. But if he doesn't, if he cannot play, Peyton Bender's in good enough shape to run this football team and to go into Husky Stadium, get to nine wins, and keep the dogs out of the postseason. Peyton Bender is a good enough quarterback to do that. And I think he will. Christian Capel, Tacoma News Tribune. Coming up next, we'll talk a little bit more about the Huskies. Maybe missing two of their best pass rushers for the Apple Cup and Travis Feeney and Elijah Qualls. We'll also talk about Jake Browning, see how his development's been going. But getting better here recently. But uh, we'll see what Christian has to say about him coming up here on the Coop Center Hour. Back here on the Cook Center Hour, our annual visit prior to the uh, Copa Day. I can't remember the Spanish word for Apple, and I probably shouldn't have introduced him this way, but Christian Capel from the Tacoma News Tribune. He covers the University of Washington Huskies for the paper, does a great job of doing it. You, of course, know he also previously covered Washington State for the Spokesman Review. And Christian, uh, 5 and 6 going into this football game. I think expectations at Montlake might have been a little more tempered this year. Uh, compared to last year, but five and six can't exactly be sitting well with a lot of Husky fans, can it? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of that weird situation where I don't think a, a rational college football observer would have told you before this season that the Huskies should have expected to win like eight or nine games. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when the expectations aren't there, they go out and you know. It, even if you go into the season thinking, you know, well, these guys probably aren't going to win eight or nine games, and then they don't, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the fans still get upset about that to a certain degree just because that's, that, that annual expectation is always kind of built in that they should be better than that. But I think anyone, you know, with a, a degree of, of uh, rational, rational thought to them probably mm-hmm. looked at this team and thought, you know, they're young, they, they're starting a freshman quarterback, they lost a lot of guys on defense, a lot of really important guys on defense. Um, probably not reasonable to think that they're going to go out and set the world on fire. I think defensively they've been a lot better than even what people's most optimistic projections mm-hmm. were. And offensively, I think they've been about what people expected, that they've really struggled at times to protect the passer. Uh, they struggled early on to run the ball, and they've had their ups and downs with their freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. So. You know, before the season started, I predicted a five and seven final record, so they're pretty much right about where I thought they would be. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I think as frustrating and, and maybe as up and down as this season has kind of been, and as frustrating as fans have been, I do think if they win this game, especially with the kind of season that WSU has had, 
to go out and win this game and finish six and six and assure themselves of a, a bowl trip, I think most people will, would, would be on board with the idea that things are trending in the right direction. You know, speaking of trending in the right direction, we'll talk about the offense and the defense here in a little bit, and I do agree with you on the defense much better than I even thought they would be, and I thought they'd still be good. Uh, Chris Peterson now coming to the end of his second year uh, in Seattle and you know, obviously experiencing some more adversity than he was very used to at Boise State, but I have to imagine to this point, uh, just with kind of what he got left after Steve Sarkeesian left for USC and how his recruiting's been doing, which has you know, been pretty up to snuff for maybe what the University of Washington might expect out of their head coach. Uh, fans have you probably should be pretty happy with at least his performance so far, maybe not Jonathan Smith withstanding on that one. Yeah, I think, so, so if you kind of step back and take the big picture view of like, okay, where, where was the program at when he got it? Um, you know, where are they going? What, what's, what's been happening with guys in the NFL draft? And mm-hmm. what do the recruiting rankings look like? I think if you really, if you step back and look at the big picture, I think you could say, okay, yeah, he, he's got it going in the right direction. They've they played a ton of young guys the last two years who, for the most part, look like they're going to be pretty good players. You know, they got true freshman running back who is going to run for a thousand yards this year unless something crazy happens on Saturday. Mm-hmm. True freshman quarterback who has taken his lumps this year, but you you can kind of see where he's probably going to be pretty good down the road. And then a lot of young linemen who they they feel pretty good about. So, um, I I think that the big picture looks okay right now. I think where where the frustration comes from is some of the in-game management stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just seems like there's been a handful of those. You know, last year, the one that got the most attention, obviously, the, the chart game at Arizona last year and mm-hmm. not taking a knee and kind of giving that game away. Um, you know, they're down two scores against Oregon with five minutes left, and they're, they're not really showing any urgency offensively. They're taking their time. They're running way too much time off the play clock, mm-hmm. and that upset a lot of people. Um, you know, against California, they ran the ball really well early, got down and kind of went away from it. And yeah. I think that bothered some people. And it just seems like in all of these close losses, there were some, some game management issues, you know, calling a timeout on fourth and one before a punt. Um, you know, wasting yeah, that... a timeout in that Oregon game late on the, on the drive after you've let the play clock run down. And mm-hmm. just those kind of things, I, I think that because they ended up losing those games, that's kind of added some frustration to it. Like, you know, they're, they're not there yet to where they can be expected to win all of those close games, but there's been so many times when they yeah. found themselves with a, with a chance, you know, in a position to maybe pull out a close game like that, and and uh, some of the coaching decisions have, have been a little strange, to say the least. You know, the Jeff Lindquist package, obviously, has taken a lot of criticism as well. Yeah, that, from a game uh, standpoint, yeah. I do think that the, there's there's been a lot um, to be desired there. But I think from the big picture and looking at, okay, are they are they building the program the right way? And do they look like they have a chance to be competitive at the top of the Pac-12 North in the coming years? I do think that's going in the right direction. Jake Browning certainly came in, had you know a lot a lot of pomp and circumstance. I think for a lot of fans, were very excited. I think rightfully so. You know, the kid throws the most touchdowns in California high school football history. I mean, he threw for it was something over like 250 or close to that. And you can. Correct me in a second if I have that wrong, but it you know he, he threw just for gobs and gobs and gobs of touchdowns, and he comes to college and he, you know he's looked like a freshman quarterback at times. I think he's done kind of what you would expect a freshman to do. He's kind of feasted on teams that aren't so good, you know, a la your Oregon State's like he did last week, uh, Arizona a team that just kind of gave up in that game against Washington. I think 
And he's also looked like a freshman at a lot of other times, especially the end of that Arizona State game. He threw something like four straight picks. Is is he kind of to where everybody would kind of, again, you know, all these young players, very young team, it's all kind of a, are they where you expect them to be? Jake Browning is kind of, you know, the, the, the cornerstone of this team for the next few years offensively, I think. Is, is he kind of where you might think, yeah, this is what a freshman quarterback in the Pac-12 should look like? You know, I think so. I, I think especially given what he has around him. Um, we, we could talk a lot about the offensive line, and, and obviously they're young and, and inexperienced too, and, and mm-hmm. it's really shown, especially against teams that pressure the passer really well. Um, but, I, you know, I think maybe one of the more disappointing aspects of Washington's offense has been their receivers. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they're not great at, at winning at the line of scrimmage, and there have been a lot of passes that Jake Browning has thrown to where, you know, Browning himself might say, ah, I, I, I could have, you know, I could have dropped this in, you know, six inches further this way or six inches, you know, further out in front of him and given him maybe a little better chance to catch it. But mm-hmm. they're catchable balls that aren't being caught. Yeah. Where, you know, if, if you're the quarterback, you look at it and say, yeah, I probably could have thrown that a little better. But if you're, you're the receiver in the Pac-12, there are passes where you're looking at it and saying, you know, hey, i got to catch that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Peterson has, has pointed that out multiple times that it just seems like they catch so few 50-50 balls and mm-hmm. they, they break so few tackles, they get so few yards after contact that they almost feel at times like Jake Browning kind of has to be perfect for them to really get the passing game going. Mm-hmm. So I think taking all that into consideration, he's still put up pretty decent numbers for a true freshman quarterback playing with an offense that just doesn't have a lot of weapons right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's made some, like you mentioned the Arizona State game, you know, they, they throw, he throws three interceptions on their final four possessions. And, yeah. you know, really, really on a couple of those really looked like a freshman who was, just knew his team was down and was trying so hard to make something happen that he he kind of killed their chances of winning the game and um, you know he's he, he's kind of learned as the season's gone along um, what angles to take when he's trying to escape pressure mm-hmm. you know he seems like he's he's done a better job stepping up and climbing the pocket and, and running forward instead of trying to to spin around guys or, or run backward or run to the side where mm-hmm. he clearly, you know, against most teams, he's not going to have the speed to evade a pass rusher that way. So, you know, what Peterson always goes back to is he's not the kind of guy who's going to make the same mistake twice. So he's going to make a lot of mistakes as a freshman, which the Huskies like is that he hasn't repeated those same mistakes. That mm-hmm. if he misses a read or if he, you know, he makes a bad throw, he's, you know, he's, he's so hard on himself and he's so into everything that you know, I think he, he makes those corrections pretty quickly. And um, I, I think that if you ask Chris Peterson and Jonathan Smith, you know, how do you feel about the way he's played overall in year one? Um, I think they would identify some pretty obvious areas of improvement, but I do think they feel pretty good about how he's played. I talk about another freshman on that offense and, uh, you know, Jake Browning, when he does stuff right, and he can move with his legs too. He can be a little scary at times, but Miles Gaskin scares the ever loving crap out of me. This kid has just seemed to be a breath of fresh air for an offense that I think without him, Christian, probably would be spinning their wheels even more if they didn't have a guy like him who could, you know, all he needs is a little hole in that defense to really make you pay. And WSU hasn't given up, to their credit, really explosive plays this year on the ground like they did last year, but it, 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 Miles Gaskin is just that kind of guy who he doesn't need a lot of room to run and if he can find that he can make you pay 70 yards later in the end zone. 
Yeah, it's interesting because Peterson actually talked about this today where, you know, Brian Gaskin is 17 yards short of 1,000 for the season, and someone asked him, you know, were you were you conscious of that against Oregon State, and, you know, were you leaving him in the game to try to get him to 1,000, and Peterson kind of said he didn't even realize it, which, you know, you can decide whether you believe that or not. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but what he said was, he said, yeah, you know, but if you told me before the season started, you know, if you – if you come to me and ask me about Miles Gaskin running for a thousand yards, I, I would have looked at you pretty funny because you know, what Peterson said was, "Hey, we didn't even know he was going to play." Yeah. So, and, and I think you, you got the sense during camp that he was going to be in the rotation, that he was going to be one of the freshmen who played. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't think he really had much of a chance to earn the starting job. They had everybody back last year. Who you know, Levon Coleman led the team in carries, and he's more or less not even an option anymore. And Dwayne Washington's been banged up and you know it's kind of had issues holding on to the ball and so yeah I mean Miles Gaskin stepped in there pretty early I think he's the perfect running back for a team that doesn't have a great offensive line mm-hmm. because kind of like Bishop Sankey was he he's just got that kind of innate vision he's very patient he's five foot nine so he kind of ducks down and waits for a crease to develop and he's got the burst too to, to hit and run through it so I mean he's a he's a very mature patient kind of sneaky fast runner too for mm-hmm. for his size and his age and yeah i mean if if you're looking at that uh the most surprising positive performances on the team this year i think he would be number one and it's probably not even really close you talked about uh some of the struggles of that offensive line so far this year i don't think a lot of wsu fans are you know obviously too familiar you're not going to be familiar with the offensive line of other teams but you know maybe wsu fans choose to not pay attention to UW's line because of the rivalry issue but it, it seems to me that you know th- that offensive line has struggled at times, and for a Washington State defense that has a pretty good havoc rate with their linebackers, they do tend to get into the backfield uh, an awful lot against not so good offensive lines. That could be a big problem for Washington this Friday. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I think I kind of thought they would struggle a little more against uh, Arizona State's pass rush. Obviously, everybody knows how often they blitz and the, the weird angles they take and they really mm-hmm. mix it up. And for a half, I thought they handled it really well. I think Arizona State ended up with four or five sacks. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's I, I think the the key for Washington is going to be to force WSU to blitz to get to the quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if they're getting there, if they're getting home and, and hurrying Jake Browning and pressuring him and hitting him consistently with, with uh, just their defensive front and they're able to – drop more guys into coverage and they don't have to worry about bringing five or six guys to, to sack the quarterback or to pressure him into some bad throws. Yeah, um, That's that's not going to be a good situation for Washington. And I think, you know, establishing the running game and getting Gaskin going early a little bit will help with that. Um, it's, you know, it's basic football, but it's definitely applied to the Huskies this year. When they've been able to run the ball early, they've been able to keep the defense off balance and that keeps some heat off Jake Browning. Uh, when they haven't been able to run the ball, it's really kind of gummed up their whole offense. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a matchup to watch. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, Washington's offense. I certainly don't think it's the strength of that team. The defense, uh, after losing, you know, Haloti Kaha, Danny Shelton, Shaq Thompson, and, you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting guys too, but, you know, you lose all that talent, and they've come back and seem to have been just as good a unit this year as they were last year. What's kind of been the key for them to coming back? And, you know, I think the expectations were always going to be lower. You lose that much talent, but really the drop-off hasn't been significant if there has been any at all for the defense this year. 
Yeah, I, I think a big piece of it is, and yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers, yards, yards per uh, yards per play allowed, and yards per pass attempt allowed, and all that. It's it's, it's actually better than what they played last year. And I think a big piece of that is the secondary. Where last year, yeah, you could talk about Danny Shell and then Shaq Thompson and Howie Kaha and Marcus Peters for mm-hmm. seven or eight games or whatever it was, um, but they were starting a true freshman at safety. And Buda Baker, they were starting a sophomore, Kevin King, alongside him. And they were starting a true freshman in Sidney Jones at the other corner spot. And then when Marcus Peters got kicked off the team, they actually moved their best offensive playmaker, John Ross, to corner. And he actually yep. started there and they had an interception last year in the Apple Cup. Um, but they were, they, you know, that's how dire their situation was in the defensive backfield last year. Whereas they went into this year knowing that that was probably going to be a little bit more of a strength. Those freshmen who played so much last year had that experience to fall back on and, and played a lot more confident. And um, in the front seven, they had to replace six starters. But, you know, they replaced John Timu, a middle linebacker with Azeem Victor, who looks like, you know, one of the most kind of physical, intimidating middle linebackers in the conference. He's like 6'3", 240. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, tra- they moved Travis Feeney to the buck spot where Kikaha played last year and was so good as a pass rusher. And, you know, Feeney's not the pass rusher that Kikaha was, but he's certainly been productive. He's got... You know, seven or eight sacks this year, and they really like his speed on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, kind of sneakily, they were a little more experienced there than it might have appeared. Corey Littleton, the other outside linebacker, he had started like 18 games in his first three years, so he'd played a little bit. And, you know, Keyshawn Bieria is another guy who stepped up and been pretty reliable at weak side linebacker. He started a couple games last year for Shaq Thompson when they played him at running back. So, you know, again, another guy who had a little bit of experience, but. You know, people hadn't quite heard of him yet. Yeah. And on the defensive line, I think that's probably been maybe the most impressive aspect. You know, they, they had four seniors there last year, and they had to replace everybody. And, you know, it was easy kind of to forget that, yeah, Danny Shelton had a great career and he was a great nose tackle, but, you know, right behind him, Elijah Qualls, even though he hadn't played much, that's a guy who had a lot of offers out of high school and a lot of people wanted him. And, um, you know, Joe Mathis, kind of a splash player coming off the edge, and, Tony Tupo is a senior who kind of carved out more of a role for himself. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the coaching staff has said a few times that they kind of quietly felt like they had a lot more talent waiting in the wings than, than most people assumed. And then, yeah, I think once the, once the season started, that, that kind of proved to be true. You touched on Travis Feeney and Elijah Qualls. I know both of them are dealing with injuries. Do we know uh, if they're going to be playing this week or not, or is that just kind of a – We'll probably find out Friday around twelve thirty type of thing because I know you know you talk about a Washington State offensive line that's probably going to be without Joe Dahl, maybe without Riley Sorensen at center. Those guys held up pretty well without them, but I think certainly a bigger test uh, in Washington than Colorado. No disrespect to the Buffs, but Washington obviously a better defense. Do we know uh, if they're going to be able to play this week, or is that just something we're probably going to have to find out before the game on Friday? Yeah, yeah. Chris Peterson gives a little more injury information than Mike Leach does. Not much. Uh, so he could yeah, he could give you a crumb of, and it'd be more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't possibly give less. But yeah. he he gives very very uh, you know a small amount. So yeah, hey, Elijah Qualls has missed uh, I think three games now. Um, he had a, a sprained ankle. It sounds like it's actually you know gotten a little more serious. His his, his recovery's been a little slower than they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Peterson did say that he practiced today for whatever that's worth. So um, you know, and Travis Feeney's just kind of had that that chronic shoulder issue. His, his shoulders have been a problem his entire career. He looked like he 
he re-aggravated it at Oregon State. He had the play where he, he chased the guy down after his 76-yard run, pushed him out of bounds, and I think it was the next play or two plays later he uh, banged his shoulder in a way that forced him to come out and he didn't return. So mm-hmm. uh, it's hard, you know, it's always kind of hard to say how serious those things are. You know, he's, it had bothered him earlier this year. He'd never actually missed a game, but like when they went and played at Stanford, um, he was beat up pretty bad. He hadn't mm-hmm. really practiced much that week, and he played a little bit, but uh, they couldn't rely on him like they usually do. So, uh, but you know, with it being the Apple Cup, I think Peterson said after the Oregon State game that guys will have to be really, really banged up to not play in this one. So, you know, who knows? Maybe that was an implication that he he thinks those guys are going to be okay. But like you said, probably going to have to wait till just before kickoff to find out. Yeah. Do you get the feeling that this team plays well with a sense of urgency? I don't think they've had quite as you know maybe an urgent you know issue this year as they will this Friday. What do you kind of get just from being around them on a day-to-day basis, Christian, about their mentality kind of going into this game? Because their backs really are up against the wall here. They need to win this football game to go bowl eligible. Washington State's coming into it with or without Luke Falk, and they're, you know, they're sitting at 8-3. and three. They can cruise right along, and would winning be nice? Yeah, but it's not really going to affect us too much if we lose the ball game. Uh, how do you think they respond really with, you know, they're, they really need to win this football game? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we actually have no access to players this week, so that, as far as what mm. they're thinking, your guess is as good as mine. But um, well, Peterson has mentioned that before. Like after the Arizona game, I think, um, you know, they they won forty nine to three, and and he said after that game that yeah, we our guys knew that the, the difference between you know the, the, between what our record would be winning this one and losing it, and I think they responded to it in practice this week. So. That was kind of a that was kind of a do or die game where if they lost that one it was going to be really really hard to envision them getting to six wins mm-hmm. and you know they went out and played their best game of the season then Oregon State you know you could say maybe because they knew their backs were against the wall they went out and you know put the game away in the first quarter um, I think probably a more likely explanation for those two games would be Arizona's not very good and Oregon State's really not very good. So those are those are two games that, that uh, even a mediocre Pac-12 team should expect to win, um, although I don't think anyone really thought they were going to beat Arizona by 46. But, no. Uh, they were, they were kind of coming off a, a couple pretty disappointing outcomes. I think they had just lost to WSU the week before. Yes, they had. Kind of had a quarterback mm-hmm. controversy a little bit. And, um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe there is something to that, that, that this is a team that bands together and understands that, um, you know what the stakes are and and what they're going to lose out on if they don't win. But I think the they've been fortunate that the two times they've really been tested with circumstances like that were against opponents that that were pretty clearly worse than them. So Friday will be a little bit different. Yeah, I was about to say you know this the game a little bit different. You're playing a Washington State team coming rolling in and they've only lost one game uh, in the last seven weeks here, Christian, and now ranked for the first time since 2006. Give me just your thoughts, prediction, maybe maybe not a score, but who do you think comes out on top this Friday? I mean, obviously, a lot more on the line for the Huskies than the Cougs, and like you mentioned, that might benefit them a little bit, that they're going to play with that sense of urgency. But if you had to make a pick right now, I know it's early in the week, but what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, a lot depends on Luke Falk's status. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was, I was talking with a couple people earlier about what the, the Vegas line fluctuation might be. Um, you know, I think even if Falk plays, I could see the Huskies being favored by two or three points. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've been a pretty steady home favorite this year. They're favored over Oregon. They're favored over Utah. Of course, they lost both those games, so <laughs> go figure. But 
Um, I, I, you know, I think if Falk doesn't play, you could see it more around maybe UW minus six to eight, something yeah. in there. I think would would sound about right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a precipitous drop off from from Falk to Bender. Certainly, WSU would rather have their starter than their backup, but. Obviously, they felt really good about Peyton Bender when they recruited him. He hasn't looked, you know, like in over his head when he's had to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, and Peterson kind of talks a lot about that, about how, you know, Mike Leach just, whether it's the starter or the backup, they seem to, to prepare their quarterbacks pretty well to kind of just plug in and, and run the thing. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm really interested um, to see the matchup between those WSU receivers and UW secondary. Mm-hmm. I think there's you know, no question that's the best receiver group in the Pac-12, maybe the best in the country. And the Huskies secondary is, has been uh, pretty pretty good against the past this year too. So, um, you know, just uh, you know, my, as, as an objective observer and a fan of football, I would really like to see Luke Falk play because I think that'd be a great matchup. Yeah. But I think it should be a, a good matchup either way. Right now, yeah, I mean, if, if the assumption is that Falk isn't going to play – which I just kind of get the feeling that maybe that's more likely than not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, as far as a pick, I'd, I'd say maybe UW by four or so. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sold on that. I could, I could go either way, really. I mm-hmm. think it, if Falk plays, um, I would probably lean toward picking WSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not going to know that for sure, obviously, either way before the game starts. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's close to a coin, uh, coin toss. I do think it'll be a pretty good game. To be fair, I mean, before the game starts, Mike Leach did say 27 seconds before kickoff today. So, I mean, to be fair, like, at least he's giving you half a minute there, man. <laughs> well, hey, that's that's more than enough. I can, I can edit my prediction post in that time, so we'll, we'll be Chris, good. Christian Cable from the Tacoma News Tribune joining us to talk about the Huskies. Thanks, man. Yeah, you bet. More Kooks in our hour on the other side of the fight song. Stick around. Back here in the Kook Center Hour, we are now joined again by our uh, the man who knows quarterbacks better than just about anybody, Mr. Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks. Before we get to uh, Peyton Bender, Jake Browning, Washington, Washington State, uh, Yogi's got a movie coming out on December 1st, uh, Life in a Walk. And Yogi, just uh, for folks who may not know, just explain what the movie's about. It's a pretty cool story, actually.
when I heard about it then was when I just left coaching at USC and I was actually over in Easter Island trying to figure out my life bottom line is that I didn't deal with it well let alone at all you know mm-hmm. I just kind of didn't flinch yeah he'll be fine not a big deal uh, my dad'll be great and what happened to me two years ago is I started to talk to some of my peers and so many people related to prostate cancer so many people related to losing parents so many people were saying gosh I wish I, I wish I asked my loved ones this question mm-hmm. and it hit me between the eyes that I never wanted to say the sentence I wish I spent more time with my dad yeah so I flew home almost instantaneously and walked into the living room and I said let's go for a walk and he said sure where do you want to go and I gave him a plane ticket and I said let's go to Spain and Portugal and go walk what is called the Camino de Santiago and uh, he didn't know a lot about it at the time neither did I but it's probably the most famous walk they call it a pilgrimage um, in the world and mm-hmm. we went for a couple weeks came back and I literally thought it would be a uh, home movie, you know, kind of a love note to my dad, something for my future kids and their kids and their kids. And yeah. when we created the trailer and showed it to people, it went nuts. And I heard from people all over the world. So we mm-hmm. created a crowdfunding campaign that you and a lot of your listeners supported via Indiegogo and it went nuts. Like literally multiple continents, dozens of countries, all throughout the pack 12 footprint, uh, people supported us and we raised enough uh, funding to finish the film and we released it September 1st in theaters all across the country, all across the Pac-12. It's rained it over 50 times. They were from Anchorage, Alaska to Sarasota, Florida, mm-hmm. and everywhere in between. And December 1, uh, we go live. We go live on iTunes. We go live on demand, like uh, DirecTV or a variety of other mm-hmm. cable platforms. You'll be able to get it. You can pre-order it now. And, and I really think it's the ultimate holiday movie because when you watch it with people, you, you don't even fall in love with my dad and I story. You get lost in analyzing your own. Yeah. So I, I need to ask this. I want to ask that. And, and it's been really, it's been powerful, man. So it comes out on iTunes, right? December. So you said December 1st on iTunes, and then you can get it on uh, DirecTV. Is it on Comcast and any of those other ones uh, as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it's on a boatload of them. I mean, okay. literally from Dish, Charter, Cox, uh, in Canada, Google Play, Amazon. I mean, it's on, uh, it's on everything. AT&T U-verse. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be on uh, pretty much every platform mm-hmm. there is. And you can get it off of lifeinawalk.com. You can get it off of iTunes. You can see it on your own cable platform. Um, we really tried to make it, and we timed it up well uh, with our distribution partner, Gravitas, to, to really make sure that we hit um, yep. the holidays. But I think it's the ultimate holiday movie, man. And I think we take place of the awkward conversation. You know, as a child, <laughs> it's hard to go to your parents. Yeah, it is. You know, it's yeah. hard to say, hey, Dad, you got a second, I want to ask you some questions about your life. I, I live that, right? And as an yeah. alpha male, and probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, we're trained as athletes for whatever reason that it's only okay to cry after a game. You know, if you're Russell Wilson after the NFC Championship game, mm-hmm. but you, you're not okay to be emotional in other elements of your life. And I live that way. And mm-hmm. when you sit down and watch this, I've seen it hundreds of times around the country where it instantly sparks conversation. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's probably what I'm most proud of to be honest, is, is that it's gotten so many parents, kids, friends, loved ones, partners to ask the questions that we all seek. You know, we all want to know what it was like when our children or our parents went through the good times and more importantly mm-hmm. the hard times and how to deal with it because it's it's hard, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like a fresh year of quarterback, you know? That you got to teach them. You got to tell them what to see, <laughs> why to see it, and how to deal with coverages. You don't just throw them yep. out there. And sometimes we get thrown out there as kids and and I think our parents really want to share it with us. We just got to ask them. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what this movie's really representing. So speaking of freshman quarterbacks, make sure December 1st, it's going to be a really good holiday movie. Check out Yogi's movie, Life in a Walk. Again, iTunes, Comcast, DirecTV, all kinds of places you can get it on demand. Let's talk about some freshman quarterbacks, Yogi. Uh, Luke Falk, unfortunately, 
takes another blow to the head this week. Uh, looks a little more severe. Uh, we obviously won't know the exact diagnosis uh, from uh, Mike Leach. Uh, Bill Moose saying they don't. They're hoping he's going to be able to play this Friday. They don't know. Uh, I'm kind of assuming he's not going to be able to, just with how bad it looked to me. I again, I'm not a doctor, but you know, it looked pretty bad to me. What did you like from what you saw to Peyton Bender for a quarter and a half, basically, uh, against Colorado? What did he do well that you really liked out of him? Uh, well, one, he didn't flinch, you know, and that's kind of been him, you know. I mean, literally, the first play he's in, right, mm-hmm. they take a shot down the left sideline, you know, and, and, and that's like Mike Leach all the way. Um, but Peyton dropped a dime, too, you know. I don't think they made the play, but, um, you know, he didn't flinch. I think that was the biggest thing that I saw mm-hmm. um, from a positive standpoint. Um, I mean, keep in mind, you know, I went back to my evaluation of him in high school when we had him with the Elite 11. Um, and, and, I, and I'll read it. Um, Classic fit for this system. Mechanics are incredible. Kid control in a phone booth. Load to arrive, like on LTA. I thought he had the quickest release out of all quarterbacks coming in in that year's class. Now, he had a slight build. Obviously, he's growing a little bit more. Um, but he's got a crazy dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, you know, he, he's only, I don't know what he is now, 6'1", 6'2", but he got a brother who's 6'4". You know, he's got some room to grow. He's a football junkie. All those were, were basically my evaluation of him. Um, and I compared him on our show to Drew Brees in terms of the way that the ball gets out, how mm-hmm. accurate he is. And, and I get that Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame NFL player, so I, I'm not saying that he's going to be that. Yeah. But when you have to model your game after someone, that's who he reminds you of now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I th- and I think we saw that. I think we saw a player with... Uh, his unique trait being how the ball speaks. Mm-hmm. And when you watch him versus Luke Falk, he, his ball has more revolutions than Luke Falk. You know, I, I think he's, if he walked out and showed up in a t-shirt and he didn't know anything about these guys, he'd say, wow, this kid can really deal. He's kind of special. Mm-hmm. Where he needs to grow, the what I saw from him from the negative standpoint was that at times he was late, which happens because you don't get the reps, you don't get game reps. Right. You don't have a lot of them. Um, I thought, Timing um, on some plays uh, was just okay. I didn't think that he saw the field. Uh, I think Luke does a great job of seeing a very wide field, and he can get very narrow in an instant. Mm-hmm. Um, Peyton's got to improve on that, and, and that's what happens when you play, right? That's just called game reps. Right. Um, and, you know, it's his pick, and then he had a pick drop there late in the game. Um, you know, those, those are all those types of throws, you know, of being late at times, of, you know, sitting in the pocket, just a hair too long, hanging out a wide out when he should have gone to his check down, you know. Those mm-hmm. things I think are just game reps that I, I don't think that's going to change necessarily from, from the last game to this game. But he's a smart enough student-athlete in this system that I don't know if we'll see him make the same mistake twice. Mm-hmm. He's just going to be facing a different, totally different speed of a defense. And they're going to have to get the ball out of his hand quickly yeah. if he's playing this game. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because, you know, it's no knock on Colorado to say their passing defense isn't nearly as good as Washington's. Washington's is probably the best in the conference. So, you know, you mentioned getting the ball out quicker and narrowing the field a little more. Is there anything he needs to do uh, a lot better this week against the Huskies? Because they do they do pose a bigger defensive issue for Bender um, than, than the Colorado Buffaloes did. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, he throws that bubble screen late in the game, and uh, you know they they convert it. I think you know, and uh, that 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 isn't going to happen this game. 
You know, like you, the the secondary of UW to me, I think they're the best secondary in the conference. A lot of coaches would say they're one or two. You know, UCLA possibly being one uh, mm-hmm. because they're so long at times back there. Uh, I, I think this is the best secondary in the conference. Um, I think they're so athletic. I think that you know they got a safety plan. You know, an outside back or end position in Travis Feeney. You know, we all saw that play when he, when right. he ran down the back with Oregon State last weekend. Um, they've got real team speed, man. I mean, legitimate. I think they're two inside backers. Um, outside, they're the best in the North. I think Utah's are the best in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're probably more explosive than Gianni Pollinger and Norris. Um, and they got, you know, they just have dudes. You know, I think it's just going to be different for him. So, so literally, I think the biggest thing is going to be getting the ball out and and being really decisive. You know, I think both of these defenses, we had an argument about it or a discussion about it on our final score show over the weekend. Um, I think that uh, you could pick either Pete Krukowski or Alex Grinch, and to me, they're the defensive coordinator of the year, mm-hmm. you know, in this conference. I mean, what uh, meaning for Peyton, it's going to be hard. You know, going yeah. up against <laughs> a coordinator that's a really good, you know, arguably the best coordinator. Um, you know, in, in in the Pac-12, definitely in the top two. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be hard for him, and, and he's got to get the ball. And, and but the good thing is, is that he watched Luke do that, you know, and and that's the total truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Luke got to watch Halliday do that, which to me it was was really unique as well. So I, I'm excited to watch it. The good thing is that you know I, I'm just looking up as we're talking. They can get the ball out. He got it out in 2.41 seconds. You know, that's when he gets the ball out. So yeah, pr- pretty good number. You know, to be honest, it already ranks in the top, you know, third of the, even higher, you know, top quarter of anybody in the Pac-12. So he knows he needs to get it out. It's just going to the right places. And mm-hmm. UW does what Washington State does in terms of disguising coverage. So yeah. it, it won't be easy, but, you know, Bates is a smart kid, you know, and uh, he's been trained well. So I wouldn't put a pass in every good game. It's just, he's got to make a couple plays that are just going to be for the first time, and, and there'll be a, a couple negatives. You hope they're just not turnovers. Yeah. I want to talk to you about another thing I, you know, not talked about too often uh, with the game being moved uh, to this weekend, but you've got experience with this as both a player as a, and a coach. Washington State takes the entire week off for Thanksgiving. No classes, no nothing, schools shut down. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, these guys have nothing to do but study film if they want to and do whatever. Washington has class all this week until Thanksgiving Day and then the game on Friday. Does that affect how your ability, maybe as coaches or as players, to prepare for this game at all? How much of an effect does your schoolwork have on being better prepared, and and can it make that much of a difference for WSU if they don't have a class to focus on this week? Yeah, it's a great call, great point. I, I honestly think I can make the argument for both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, for Washington State, I could say, well, they're in a class, so that means they're going to put more time in the film room, they're going to study more, they're going to prepare more, and then maybe they're going to play outside of themselves because they're going to try too hard. Yeah. You know, and then I could say the exact opposite of it, it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, especially with the way that they operate, the way kids are now, you're so in the flow that it's not that big of a deal. So I don't think so. Um, I think for Peyton Bender, it's the greatest thing of all time. You know, like to me, for, <laughs> for a guy like that, yeah, yeah major positive. You know, he's going to be able to steal reps, steal hours in the film room. Um, and, and really, that's good Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he's watching film right now. You know, yeah. and it's Monday night at almost 9 o'clock. And, and he should be, to be quite honest, um, because he's got to get to an area where he can just play fast. And then the challenge will be, with all that time, is Thursday, shutting it down. You know, what I loved about Luke Fall more than any quarterback in this conference is that 
he totally believed in visualization. So earlier this year, we had a, we had a chance to chat, and he said that you know every you know he kind of shuts it down after Wednesday from uh, or Thursday's practice from like a film standpoint, and then he has a coach literally read over the script on uh, like a video player, you know. So yeah. he gives him a file that's basically ta- calling the plays, calling the offense, and he lays down in bed or he sits in his you know in his chair on his couch and he just listens to it and visualizes what he what he is going to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. So for Peyton Bender, he doesn't have a rhythm yet of how to prepare to be a starter because it hasn't happened. Um, so I'd be really intrigued. It's probably be the first question I would ask him on Saturday after the game um, or even throughout the week if somebody gets a chance to talk to him. How have you prepared? You know, what has changed, if anything? Yeah. Because um, naturally you want to say no, but naturally you try harder. You mm-hmm. do prepare more when you become the starter. It's just, it's just habit. It's just who you are. Uh, I don't care what level of football you're at or what job you're at, but you become the dude and you have to put a little bit more time into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially at this point in the season when you play in behind, arguably, you know, my eyes, if they win Portland State, they beat Sanford, Luke Falk's the highest in Canada. Yeah. You know, and next year he's going to be a, he's going to be one of those guys everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more because uh, assuming Peyton Bender plays on Friday, there's going to be two freshman quarterbacks out there. Peyton will be a redshirt freshman, but you got a true freshman in Jake Brownie. We Browning rather. We had Christian Capel on from Tacoma News Tribune covers uh, the Huskies does a great job of it. Talked about Browning's year a little bit up and down. He's kind of feasted on some not so good defenses here late in the year, and that Arizona game was just a complete aberration. I don't know what happened to the Wildcats in that game, but it was I I have no idea. But what have you seen from him kind of as the years progressed? I, I certainly think he looks better than a typical freshman quarterback, but he still makes a lot of uh, mistakes you might expect from a guy who at this time last year was just getting done with his homecoming dance. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think Jake, uh, looking back on the year, um, played too early, right? But they had to. He was the best guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, again... The dude didn't flinch, you know. I mean, when you talk to the staff about him, I, I called the game two weeks ago that they had against uh, Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Had a couple of his games this year. Remember him coming out? You know, he's a pure passer, pure, uh, you know, a pure progression passer. I mean, he can get from one to two to three, very similar to Washington State's offense. Um, that's that's incredible. What I love about this young man is his competitive spirit is awesome. I mean, literally, man, he, the way that he prepares the way that he challenges his teammates, by example, but now also, you know, after, you know, he's no longer a freshman, um, you know, being able to do it verbally. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the way that he handles pressure, I mean, he gets pressured second most um, in the conference. You know, 31% of the times he drops back, somebody's bringing heat. That's a lot. Yeah. And he's completing over 50% of the time when that happens. So uh, he, he's, his mind is his unique trait. He will be challenged the most. Um, out of any other game this year against the defense of Washington State. No doubt about it. Yeah. The way they disguise coverages, the way they roll coverages, the way they bring pressures, the way they twist up front. I mean, those, they'll all be all new things for him. Uh, but this kid's going to fight. You know, like if there was a guy that I'd take with me and I was a you know young coach, I'd take him. You know, mm-hmm. I totally get why. He's, he's got dude qualities like Luke Falk. You know, Luke Falk has that swagger to him to a degree. Um, and you wouldn't know it if you just met him. Jake's the same way. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a kid. You look at him, say, oh, he's kind of he's, he's still growing, he's still maturing. Uh, but whoa, he's got a competitive spirit about him, and he is his functional football intelligence is off the charts. Yeah. So I wouldn't be shocked if he saw pressure coming and ripped the backside post for a touchdown. You know, or at least ripped it in there like he thought he was going to throw a touchdown. You know, I mean, he he plays with that confidence. So 
Um, I can't wait. I think that the two uh, most improved defenses in the North, um, I think, again, I think it's the two top coordinators in the Pac-12 Conference on the defensive side uh, from this past season. And, and I can't wait for these quarterbacks to deal, man. I think it's shaping up to be an awesome, incredible um, rivalry matchup. I just my fun on the line, you know. And it's not a championship, but no. – Think about it. You you know, you're, what, is every, what do all the fans say that you talk to? They want to make sure Washington stays home. Yeah. You know? and here's your opportunity. Yeah. I need, I need to make sure I have enough heart medication. That's all I need to, I need to make sure of. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess my other I – mean, this kind of go back, goes back to the preparation question, and, and we'll leave you with this because it when you come up to a rivalry game, you were at SC, you were part of those cross-down rivalries with UCLA. Uh is is the preparation any different from the coaching standpoint? Are the kids any more amped up uh, than they normally would be? You know, you kind of maybe talked about Peyton overthinking things a little bit. Do players tend to do that, or is there a way you can kind of really make it? You know, like what coaches love to say: "Well, it's just business as usual. It's just business as usual." And especially with, I think these two coaches who don't really have a connection to the rivalry at all, where you know Peterson was at Boise State for years and. Mike Leach was at Texas Tech. Is is there a way to kind of pr- not just preach that message to your players, but kind of get them to follow through on it, where they really are preparing like it is just any other football game that you're going to go play? Yeah, no, it's, that, that doesn't happen. You know, you try and you think it's going to. And I can remember, um, I remember talking about it this weekend on the Pac-12 Networks of USC UCLA. You know, I grew up from the East Coast. Notre Dame was the biggest thing in town. And our guys looked at Notre Dame and was like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I get the history, but not that big of a deal. But when we played UCLA, oh, it was on. Because you knew so many of the student-athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for this matchup, it's even more unique because everybody didn't necessarily grow up together. Um, they all didn't grow up in L.A. or they all didn't grow up in Seattle. Like, there's some instances like that. Yeah. But the hatred among the, the respectful disagreement among the two
what UW does if they get to recruiting or if they get to a bowl season or just immediately start recruiting. So um, I, I'm fired up for this, man. I mean, both teams are going to feel the feel the excitement and the um, the anxiety. So it'll be fun to see who shows up. White meat or dark meat on your turkey? Which do you like better? What's that? White meat or dark meat from your turkey? Which do you like better? You're gonna hate my answer. Um, I, I I don't eat meat. Oh. So I uh, I I double up, triple up on the dessert. That's usually in the move I go with. So uh, you tri- yeah, So you man. go you go like triple slices of pumpkin. I can respect that. I like pumpkin pie. Okay. I can respect that. <laughs> All right. All yeah, right. I'll, I'll go pumpkin. Like so there's usually like a random pie that's there. You go for yeah. A couple scoops of ice cream. Like and, and I'm a dessert guy anyway. I would choose. I choose dessert over everything other than a breakfast burrito, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> that's a so, that's that's a Venice yeah. Beach answer if I ever heard one right there. Breakfast burritos and dessert. That that is that yeah, is. I mean, what else is there? <laughs> you know? There's turkey, Yogi. There's delicious turkey. I know. Oh, I know. I know. I'll, I'll have a bite. I'll have a piece just based on principle. But yeah, man, it's kind of like uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. It's not, not that big of a deal. Oh man. Oh man, I, I can do. I like the football though. That's a good answer. Yogi Roth from the Pac-12 Networks joining us. He's going to be watching the Apple Cup, and I know he's just as excited for it as we are. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Let's wrap it up next, guys. Coming up on the Cook Center Hour. Head of the week time now, and uh, this is more of a rant that I kind of like been saving up all my anger for over the last I don't know, a few months or so. But I- I've lived now in the city of Seattle, like in the city, for the last over a year, specifically in the neighborhood of Greenwood. And I don't know what it is, but you know, during the week, traffic in Seattle's bad, and on the you know, on the main thoroughfares, the city streets, it's bad too. And that's fine because it's, you know, pre and post work and even during the day, folks got to get places. But it almost seems like it gets worse on the weekends on some streets that aren't Aurora or I-5. And I don't know what the deal is, but I think I know what the deal is. And this could be completely unfounded, but, you know... You'll, you'll hear more unfounded things during next year's presidential campaign, but you won't be paying attention to that anyway because the Googs will be making a run for a Rose Bowl. I think it has to do with people coming into Seattle on the weekends from the suburbs. You got your nice wide streets in the suburbs with your not-timed lights and your, 
you know, the street signs are far apart and the parking's easy and all that stuff. And in Seattle, you get lights that are timed. So if you don't hit the gas, you're not paying attention. You're going to leave me at this light for another light cycle. And at 85th and Greenwood, that sucks. That sucks big time. Okay? And if you can't figure out how to parallel park, if that spot for your minivan, which is like two minivans long, and you still can't park in there with like three tries and you're holding people up, like trying to you know, dart back into the street like, oh, I can't fit, I can't fit. Move on. Go somewhere else. I got a 7-Eleven to get to. Or whatever else I'm going to do on the weekends. I, I, I don't know what it is, but traffic seems worse on the weekends with people from the suburbs coming into the city, and I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Don't even dare ask them to use, like, one of the city's many roundabouts that they use, because you know you get your main thoroughfares, and then all the side streets, they're just roundabouts at all the intersections. No stop signs, no nothing, just roundabouts. Don't ask them to use those. Oh, God. They'll freeze up like a deer in headlights. Ah, oh, God. Can't do it. All suburb drivers who come into Seattle on the weekend. You're my dunderhead. You don't see me coming to the suburbs on the weekend and driving real slow and not very out of park in one of your expansive parking lots. God, that's really nice. I miss those. Let's do Ask Michael Anything. Ask Michael Anything. It's my favorite segment. I love this segment so, so much. We get the best questions, you guys. At Brett underscore Gleason. Brett Gleason. Subway, Jimmy John's, or Quiznos? I'm in the mind you try to go to local sandwich places. I like the place across the street from us to do a great pulled pork, kind of like Caribbean-style sandwich that I really like. But if I have to choose between the three of those... I don't know. I used to like Jimmy John's so much. It kind of fell out of favor with me. Quiznos I haven't been to in a little while, and someplace just kind of like, eh, it's okay, all the time. I guess if you had, like, gun to my head if I had to choose, I'd probably go with Jimmy John's, probably. At Wazoo Cougars, with an X at the end, Shane FarmD. I assume he's getting his pharmacy degree. If you were a one-man football team, what song would you be playing when your team came out onto the field? Can't be the WSU fight song. It's gotta be, I've always kind of been on the mind, you gotta do something that kind of, like, weirds your opponent out. Like, you can't be, like, typical, like, Da Rude Sandstorm or something like that. I would go with Adele's Hello. Like, can you imagine? You, can you imagine me running out to, Hello? How are you? Like, that would be awesome. When is it appropriate to break out the Christmas music? Bonus question. What's the best Christmas song? That from Brin MK Crimson and Gray, the screen name she's going with this week. I, I think it's appropriate to break it out after Thanksgiving. Once Thanksgiving's over, we always decorated the day after Thanksgiving in my house, so it's, it's okay to break it out that next day. I think I would have to go with my personal one is um, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I always just, I always, whenever I hear that one, you know, I always get warm and fuzzy on the inside. You're like, have yourself a merry little Christmas. I don't know. I, I, I like that one. Kind of makes me, makes me feel all warm and cozy on the inside. I like that one. At Darnay Trip, the sports director at Creme 2 News in Spokane. We're going big time here. The if each Thanksgiving dish were a WSU football player, who would they be? Gabe Marks would be the breast meat on the turkey. The white breast meat. It's clearly better than the dark meat on the turkey. 
I like white meat on my turkey better. I don't know why. I just always... And my father-in-law deep fries it. I think the white meat's better on the turkey. So he's the breast meat. Dom Williams is like the mashed potatoes. Like solid. You know. Luke Falk's like the gravy because it goes with everything. You can pour it on everything including all that good stuff. The offensive line's the stuffing. I think. And if Andrew Fernie were still around, he'd be everything. I love you, Andrew. Seriously, so much, dude. We miss you. At Zane underscore RM, if you could host UW's team for Thanksgiving, what are you feeding them? I'm looking for your worst teenage dishes ranked. Oh, no. Here it comes. The worst Thanksgiving Day dish? Cranberry sauce. That stuff is nasty. I hate it. The can, the, the way it jiggles is gross. And even the fresh stuff, it doesn't, like, go with anything else on the table. Thanksgiving is about me sitting there with my pants unbuttoned, feeling uncomfortable eating. I don't want something with fruit in it. I want a crap load of fattening vegetables, or not vegetables, but a crap load of fattening turkey. I want a crap load of gravy, stuffing, potato. I want starch. I want all kinds of starch. I want to fall asleep on the couch after I am done. Other worst Thanksgiving food? Green bean casserole. How is this a thing in the Midwest? I don't like green beans. And casseroles can usually make anything better, but, like, I just... No. Green bean casserole is gross. Ugh. Rant over on that one. Washington State 31, Washington 28. Close as usual. Cougs pull one out. In Seattle this weekend, 9-3. Keep the dogs at home for the postseason. I like those odds, kids. We'll see you later on the Kook Center when we're talking bowl game for the Washington State Cougars.